All right, church, uh, we're going to continue in our sermon series uh, called The Miracles of Christmas. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. If you want to uh, flip there, I'll get to the text here in a moment. Last week, we looked at the genealogy of Jesus, the first 17 verses of Matthew. And we saw that Jesus uh, came from a very, very broken and troubled family situation. The genealogy of Jesus is full of really hard and difficult stories. And the miracle that happened in the genealogy of Jesus is that, is that God, through all of that brokenness, brought Jesus into the world as our Lord and Savior. This morning, we're going to talk about the miracle of the angel appearing to Joseph. We're going to get to that in a minute and talk through it. But before I get there, I wanted to just take a moment to explain a little bit more about the context of the, the gospel of Matthew. Because I think if we understand the context of Matthew a little bit and, and the audience that it's written to, it, it helps give some, some deeper meaning and understanding to the text that we have this morning. Scholars say that, that Matthew is the most Jewish of all the gospels. It's also the one that's most closely linked to the Old Testament and to the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament about the Savior, about the Messiah that was going to be given to, to the people by God. Matthew's central theme in his gospel is one of promise and fulfillment. The promises of the Old Testament and then how they are fulfilled in Jesus. God promises in the Hebrew Scriptures to bring salvation to his people Israel and then to the whole world through a Messiah, through a Savior that he would send. Matthew then, so, so Matthew spends the beginning part of his gospel uh, linking to those prophecies and the, the, the things that uh, the, the Old Testament says about the, who the Messiah would be and the, the circumstances surrounding that. And then he concludes his gospel with a challenge and a call. We call it the, the Great Commission, right? 28 chapters later, he's going to offer words about us going forth and sharing the good news, going to the ends of the earth to share about who Jesus was. Matthew's gospel is all about Jesus. Jesus is the center of the gospel. All that Matthew uh, talks about, writes about, it all points to Jesus. And he does this with the aim, his audience. The aim of Matthew's gospel is the, the Jewish community. He's, he's writing to, to convince or to, to further encourage those, who, those in the Jewish community that know Jesus and have committed their lives to Jesus. He's writing to provide them encouragement and evidence about who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, and that um, he's come to to save the people from, our, from their sins. He writes in Matthew 5 that Jesus has come to fulfill the law and the prophets. He's writing, when he writes things like that, he's writing to a Jewish audience to help them be convinced, to provide them with the evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. He writes a lot about fulfillment of prophecy, and he also includes that the Messiah will come from the line of David. The Messiah would reign forever, his kingdom would have no end, and he would sit on David's throne forever. It's important in Matthew's gospel that he points out these things because 
These would be, this would be evidence that would be convincing to his Jewish audience that Jesus was not only the fulfillment of prophecy, but he also came from the line of David. Let's read the text for today. We'll take a closer look at, at this uh, encounter that Joseph has with the angel, and we'll talk about some of the application that we can make uh, to our own lives with this text. Let's start in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 19. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her public to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's pause there for a second. Before we go any further, we need to understand a little bit about who Joseph and Mary were and the, the circumstances around this situation. First of all, maybe it's really obvious, but, but Mary and Joseph were Jewish. They were living in a, a Jewish culture, a Jewish community, and so they were abiding by Jewish laws and Jewish customs. And, and in that, in the Jewish law and Jewish customs and Jewish culture, there was a marriage worked differently than it works in our culture. The first step in marriage would be an arrangement. So, so people weren't, weren't choosing, a, a person who was desiring to get married wasn't choosing someone. Their parents were doing that work for them. This Marriages were arranged. So Mary's parents and Joseph's parents would have, through some conversation, ar- agreed that this was the right situation for both families, that Joseph and, and Mary should get married. And they would arrange some details, some bride price, and, and other things like that that are, are not common at all in our culture, but this is how it worked back then. And so these families would arrange for a marriage, and, and then they would have uh, some sort of legal event that would commit the two people together. They would be legally married. Some translations call this a betrothal. We use the word engagement, although the weight of what is happening here is different than, than our sort of uh, Western society, modern engagement. There's actually a legal bonding of these two people. So they would call each other or, or be considered husband and wife, but they would not yet be living together. They would not yet have a home together. They wouldn't be sexually intimate with one another yet. They actually wouldn't spend much time alone together, but they were legally married. And it's in this time period, this part of Joseph and Mary's arrangement that it, it's, it comes to be, it's, it's found out, it's discovered that Mary is pregnant. If we look at Luke's account of what was going on at this time period, we know that an angel had come and visited Mary. And the angel told her that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit and that she was going to give birth to the Savior, to the Messiah, and that he would be a king that would reign forever. His kingdom would have no end. After that moment, Mary leaves. She goes away for about three months, and she lives with her cousin Elizabeth. And after that three months, she comes back to Nazareth, to her home community, and it's discovered that she's pregnant. And we don't know exactly what that means. How was it found that she was pregnant? Did she, did she look different? Did she tell her parents? Did somebody discover it? We know that it wasn't 
wasn't out fully yet. It wasn't totally public in the community because Joseph can still discreetly divorce her, right? So it's not a, the whole town doesn't know about it, but it, it's found out. It's discovered. And we can, we can only imagine what that situation was like, right? We can only imagine the, the disappointment that Mary's parents must have felt, right? Were, were they going to actually trust her and believe her that she was conceived by the Holy, that, the, that she was pregnant because of the Holy Spirit? We can only imagine what, what Joseph was feeling in that moment, right? Like, just utter shame and disappointment and frustration and all his expectations about what his life was going to be like were just totally thrown away. This is not how he had planned it. This is not how it was supposed to go. And there's got to be anger and frustration and and emotion that we can't even begin to, to understand. I mean, engagement, this type of engagement was, was unique and hard and difficult. And, and then you throw pregnancy into it and everything that goes along with that. And there's, there's emotion and anger and frustration. And now there's scandal and shame. And what is Joseph going to do? I envision a lot of, of sleepless nights, right, for young Joseph. A lot of sleepless nights. As he's trying to figure out what, what are you doing, God? What on earth are you doing? This is not how it's supposed to go. And, and then he just, he's just heartbroken for what Mary has done. And she's wrestling, and she's wrestling with, with all that's going on. And is this all real? And I'm trying to convince that this is God's plan. And man, what a difficult what a difficult, scandalous, emotional, frustrating situation. The text tells us that Joseph is faithful to the law. We are to take this to mean that he's a, he is a good, God-fearing man, and he knows. He knows what the law calls for here. He knows that Mary should be publicly brought forth and, and exposed for her unfaithfulness, exposed for being an adulterer. This would, this would move then for a public recognition that, that, that they should be divorced, the legal proceedings would take place, and Joseph would be free from, from the, the bond, the legal uh, arrangement that he had, his, his marriage. It would be, he would be able to be divorced. Mary would be publicly shamed and, and dealt with. In fact, the, the strictest understanding and application of the law would have been that Mary could have been stoned to death by the town. And yet Joseph, Joseph doesn't move in that direction. Jo- Joseph doesn't, doesn't out her publicly. And we get a glimpse here of the, the type of man that Joseph was, right? He's a, he's a good man. He knows the law and he's God-fearing and yet he's tender, I, th- I think, he, I think he, he had such high hopes for Mary. I think he thought the world of Mary. I think he deeply loved and respected Mary. And he can't imagine this person he was getting to know, this person he had such high hopes for and, and such great expectations for. I don't think he could fathom her being, being disgraced or being stoned. 
We get this picture of Joseph's heart. Not a perfect man, God-fearing, but, but also tender. And so he decides to, to have not a public outing and all that goes on along with that. He decides to have a private ceremony or a, a proceeding where he could legally end his marriage and, and Mary would be spared the, the disgrace and the shame and the guilt and, and he could go on with his life. And then an angel shows up. Let's read Matthew 1, 20 through 23. But after he had considered this, so Joseph had been considering this and wrestling with this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew tells us that after Joseph had considered these things and had, had made up in his mind what he was going to do, that an angel appears to him in a dream. And here is where the, the miracle happens, the miraculous happens. An angel shows up in a dream aimed at, at changing Joseph's mind and, and changing Joseph's heart and his decision. The Messiah would, would be coming into the world just as God had planned and designed. And he needed to work a miracle to make that happen. And that miracle was, was for an angel to come and to speak God's words to young Joseph. And to ask him and to tell him to, to continue on, to, to marry Mary to be Jesus' dad. This is the, the miraculous event of this story. Let's remember, church, that, that God condescending to us, God coming to earth to, to save us from our sins in the form of a baby and to, to live and then to die on the cross and be raised from the dead is, is the most pivotal event in human history. Oftentimes at Christmas, we, we sort of forget about all the miraculous things that happen. A star appears miraculously. Kings, wise men travel thousands of miles to, be, to find Jesus following a star. Shepherds. Shepherds in a, in a field get to see the army of God assembled in heaven, declaring that the Savior is coming. An angel meets with Jesus' mother and tells her, you are you're pregnant through the Holy Spirit with, with the Messiah. This is This is miraculous. And an angel appears to this no-named guy, Joseph in Nazareth, and tells him, you're going to be the dad of the Messiah. Church, this is, this is miraculous stuff. 
This is not just normal, ordinary, everyday things. This is, this is life changing. This is God breaking through in time and space miraculously to bring us the Savior, to bring Jesus to the world. God's working through hundreds and thousands of years to get to this moment right here. And at this moment, right here, Joseph could, could walk away. Joseph could, could change everything. And so God intervenes miraculously into Joseph's life, and he tells him what to do so that his plan to bring the Messiah will not be thwarted. And so I ask myself, I don't know about you, but I ask myself, why Joseph? Why is Joseph such a big deal? Just come up, come up with a different plan. Or, hey, this can't be that hard. Why Joseph? Well, remember who Matthew is writing to, right? Joseph was in the family of David, in the line of David. So it's important that Joseph plays the role he's going to play because it is a fulfillment of what God had said, that the, the Messiah would come from David's line. And, and Jesus needs to be to be named by his father. This is a, a powerful thing in the Jewish community, the, the naming of the child. We see it both in Luke and in Matthew that you're going to give him the name Jesus. And Joseph had a task and being in David's line that he would name this child Jesus. But the third reason is I, I think that Joseph, Joseph was the perfect dad for Jesus. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Joseph was not perfect, but he was the perfect dad for Jesus. Jesus, if, if he's going to be fully human and experience everything that, that humans experience, be tempted in every way, go through life in every way, he needed a father. He needed a father to, to look after him and, and protect him and care for him and to lead him and to raise him and to teach him how to be a man in society. He needed a, a dad that, would, that would, would care for him and shepherd him and guide him and teach him and, and, and let him down and fall short. And Joseph was that man, that dad for Jesus. Let's continue in the text, 24 through 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she, got, until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And Joseph steps up. Joseph does exactly what God asks from him when he sends him the angel. Church, we don't know anything else about Joseph after this. Joseph gets, gets no play after this. We don't know. There's nothing about his struggles in raising the, the Savior or the Messiah. We don't, we don't know anything else about him. And, and so what we are to see here, what we are to learn from Joseph here is that Joseph makes a sacrifice for the sake of Jesus. Joseph listens to what God has told him, and he obeys. It's obedience that we can learn from Joseph. He makes a sacrificial step. He takes one step 
not knowing exactly what this is going to mean for his life. He takes one step of obedience, one step of sacrifice for the sake of Jesus. So instead of divorce, Joseph and Mary, they they move up the date of their wedding. They're married and they move into their, their home together. Matthew tells us that Joseph and Mary, they practiced restraint, not consummating their marriage until she gave birth to Jesus. And this may seem just a detail we can pass over, but if, we, if we're mindful of who Joseph is writing to, this is actually pretty significant that he includes this detail. This detail is important because it, it does two things. One, and it shows the, the faithfulness and the Jewishness and the of who Mary and Joseph were. In conservative Jewish homes, it was often the practice to refrain from sexual intimacy once it was discovered that the, the, the wife was, was pregnant. And this was done in order to remain pure, pure before God. And it was also a step of faithfulness to God to say, Lord, we are going to remain pure and we believe this, this child is from you, and we will commit this child to you, Lord. Matthew includes this detail for that reason, but I I also think there's a second reason that Matthew includes this detail, and that is to show that there was absolutely no possible way that this child came biologically from Joseph and Mary. That Jesus is the Son of God. He's conceived not by Mary and Joseph, but by the Holy Spirit, and he's born of a virgin and their restraint preserves without a question the fact that he was born to a virgin and why is this important we ask why why is it so important that mary is a virgin well the answer to this comes right out of our text this morning matthew writes all this took place to fulfill what the lord has said through the prophet isaiah let's read the prophecy therefore The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So there's this prophetic word given some 750 years before this date, before Jesus was born. And the prophecy says that the the Messiah will come from a virgin. If Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, if if Jesus was born, if there was from Joseph and Mary, if there was some, some evidence other than him being born just of a virgin, it wouldn't be convincing to the Jews. It wouldn't be fulfilling the prophecy. It, would, it wouldn't add the, the full weight to the, to, the, to the story of who Jesus was. All the evidence points to the fact that Jesus was, was born of David's line and that he was born of a virgin, fulfilling the prophecy. He was who God said he would be. He truly is the the Savior. He truly is the Messiah. This is Matthew's case. And that's great, right? Like, that's powerful. Maybe, Maybe that's enough for us to know who Jesus is, that he was born of the the Virgin Mary, and that he was in the line of David. He truly is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. But what's, 
What's most interesting to me, what's, what's most powerful to me in the text this morning is, is not that he was born of David's line and that he was born of a virgin. That's powerful. But that's what's, what's most impactful to me this morning. What's washing over me afresh as I prepared, what's washing over me this morning as I preach, is what Matthew says about Jesus. Because Matthew's intention through his whole gospel is to point at Jesus. And, and Matthew says two incredibly powerful things about Jesus that we cannot miss this morning. And the first thing is this, and it's found in verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. We cannot pass over this, guys. Jesus, the Savior, has come, and we have someone who will save us from our sins. We have an answer, we have a solution. Our sin no longer overwhelms us. Our sin no longer causes death. Our sin no longer entraps us forever, damning us to hell. We have an answer. We have a solution. And it comes from God the Father directly to us. The Messiah has come. Our sins can be forgiven when we trust him and believe in him as our Lord and Savior. And guys, the Jews at that time, the Hebrews who would have heard this, they were looking for all sorts of rescue in their lives. Rescue from Roman oppression. They were looking for a king and a Savior who would would free them, reunite them as a people, establish them as a nation. And they they were missing the the main thing that God had promised to them, and that was forgiveness of their sins. And church, we do the same thing. And we do it especially at Christmas. And we forget the main thing. The reason we do all of this, the lights, the presents, and the celebrations, is because we have an answer to our sin. We have been saved through Jesus. The second most, most powerful part of this passage, the, the thing that it, it just strikes me this morning, is that Matthew tells us that Jesus would be, that, that Mary and Joseph would name him Jesus, and that we will call him what? Emmanuel! God with us! So the, the Savior has come and our sins can be forgiven. We don't have to wallow in that any longer. And not, not only that, he is actually with us. God with us. God with his people. Not absent and foreign and out there somewhere, but actually with us. With us. This is who our God is. He comes to us. He pursues us us. He goes after us. He wants to be with us. He is with us. This should bring us so much hope in the midst of all that's going on in our world and all that's going on in our lives. And we have a God who is with us. Church, this is the hope of our faith, that our God is with us. When we are weak, we have his strength. When we are tired, we have his energy. 
when we are sad and overwhelmed, we have his joy. When we are broken, we have his healing. When we're exhausted and overwhelmed, we have his rest and his comfort and his care. Our God is with us. His very presence with us. Church, if you walk out of here with anything this morning, be hopeful because of this. Be hopeful because of this. You have a God who is with you, who knows you and loves you and cares for you and wants you to experience his joy and presence in your life in this time. Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word this morning. God, I'm, I'm struck this morning at, at Joseph's faithfulness and Mary's faithfulness. And God, I'm struck by your faithfulness. Your faithfulness to your, to your promises. Your faithful, faithfulness to us as your people, as your children. That you have not left us, but you've come to us. And you've saved us. And you're with us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.